Thank you, Pastor. If you would take, please stand and take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And the reading will be taken from verse 6 to 12. Chapter 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. And it reads, I'll give you a little more time. <laughs> and it reads, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly, not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we are, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you a, in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work quietliness and eat their own bread. Thank you. May the Lord add a blessed reading of his word. You have your copy of the scriptures. I invite you to turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, I debated whether or not to do Thanksgiving or to finish up Ephesians chapter 4, uh, being that um, we will not be returning to Ephesians until next year, probably March. Um, we'll do other things in the interim. And I did want to finish chapter 4 before launching into chapter 5. Uh, so I thought I would go ahead and do Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Look back with me, very familiar uh, section of verse 25 of Ephesians 4. Therefore put away lying, let each, of, each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Father, thank you so much again. Again, as we say, for your extraordinary love, your incredible, matchless, unconditional love. Thank you, Father, uh, that you sent your Son to rescue us from ourselves. And you changed us forever. And thank you for all of the things that you allowed us to do today. You woke us up. You got us up. You got us out. You got us in. You got us together. And Father, you enabled us to discuss your word in Sunday school. Uh, you allowed us to greet and give and uh, encourage one another. And now, Father, uh, it is uh, your desire and our great delight and privilege to hear as you speak to us from your word. And so we do, Father. We ask that uh, you might steal the tongue of the evil one, that he has nothing to say. He's a liar and a deceitful schemer. He has no part in what we do this morning. And Father, 
Uh, may we be open to hearing from heaven, and that we will receive with meekness what you say, and that we will walk out what you are working in, pledging to give you the praise and the honor and the thanksgiving. Thank you for the privilege of having, handling, hearing, and heeding the word of God. We commit these things to you and ask for your favor now in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. As I read that, you no doubt remember that um, we've gone through pretty much all of this. Uh, We talked about having a fresh start and what that looks like, of course. We mentioned three things. Having a fresh start includes a, a change in my heart, a change in my head, and a change in my habits. Uh, We talked about the fact that a change in my heart, beginning in verse 25, begins with speaking truth in my heart. A change in my head we looked at uh, as we dealt with anger the past two weeks. We talked about righteous anger uh, two weeks ago and what that looks like. Uh, And five characteristics of righteous anger when you can tell when anger is righteous and then thus when it is not. And then last week we talked about unrighteous anger. And uh, four signs of that. This morning, we're going to talk about a change in my habits. Last week, four actions that flow out of unresolved conflicts. We said that because he, he says, be angry, but, but don't sin. Don't let the, the sun go down on your wrath, right? And, and we mentioned the fact that anger in itself is not sin. It's just an emotion However, if you allow anger to fester, to linger, uh, then it can erupt in at least four different ways that he mentions in verses in verse 31. The four actions that flow out of unresolved conflicts, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. We mentioned each of those things last week. This morning, we want to deal with that thing that talks about a change in our habits. And so we're going to look at verse 28. And You see there, he who steals must steal no longer, but he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. We want to talk about that. And what's the topic? He mentions three things there, stop stealing, start working, and start sharing, But this morning, I want us to key in on the main thought that he has there. And to help you figure out what that is, I employed this young man to come and show us. He says, you need to stop stealing. When we think about stealing, and of course, you've seen all of the the things going on on television. You've seen the people who run into the stores and, you know, CVS and Rite Aid and Walmart and Walgreens. They're locking up stuff because you can't even go and get the deodorant now. You know, you lift the little lever and alarms go off. You know, you, you why? Because people are stealing. You know, out in California, well, they have that ridiculous law that says if you steal less than $900, then they won't even stop you. They won't even arrest you, right? If it's over 900, then maybe you're suspect. So people, are they run in, they smash and grab and run out of the door, and the people are, are powerless to stop them. Many, many businesses are leaving some of these major cities because of the thievery that is going on. People are stealing everything. And, of course, you may be saying, well, I am not a thief. I don't steal anything. Uh, So just in case, let me mention at least four things, some some types of stealing that we might tend to overlook. Sometimes people are time stealers. Uh, You know, those are the kind of people, I know none of you are in here like that, but those are the people that I used to work with, some of them, and they, you know, they come to work five, ten minutes late, right? And then, you know, they go on lunch break, and they come back from lunch break, about 10 minutes late, right? And then they're supposed to get off at 5, but at a quarter to 5, they say, well, it's almost time to go, so they stop working anyway, right? And then they just they gather up all their stuff so that at 5 o'clock they can walk out the door. They have stolen 25 minutes of time, They're impl- but they got paid for that time, right? But if you said, you're stealing time, they would say, no, I'm not. 
because they don't see themselves as thieves. There are talent stealers. Uh, we call them moochers. You know, one of the big debates now that they have on college campuses, the, the college professors are trying to figure out, should we even give people papers to write? Because, you know, you can do an AI search, and AI can put together a better paper than the professor could even write himself, right? And you don't know if they wrote it or if the, the AI wrote it. It's computer. You don't know. In fact, you know, there are even some pastors who have AI write their sermons for them. Right? Amazing thing, right? You know, you can, only, you can only give what you have. A message from the mind reaches the mind, but a message from the heart reaches the heart. So as a pastor, I have to take in the word, and I have to get beat up first. I mean, I have to have it apply to my life first and then share with you what God is teaching me and what he's drilling down into my heart. I mean, I can't take you where I've never been. It doesn't make sense to have AI tell us where we need to go. Neither one of us knows how to get there. But there are some people who steal talent. There are people who steal treasures, right? They see something lying around that's not theirs, and nobody's around. And they say, losers, weepers, right? You know, and then they help themselves to it. If you left your wallet somewhere... And you go back and say, hey, I left my wallet. Uh, did, did you happen to find it? You, if you had 200 bucks in your wallet, you may get your wallet back. You probably won't. But you may get it back, but it may be devoid of the $200 and some of the credit cards that you had as well. Uh, people, they steal, right? And they shouldn't, but they do. And then there's temple stealing. What do I mean by temple stealing? Well, you know, 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, says this. It says, uh, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That is that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess, that's a euphemism, uh, put your physical passions on lockdown. Each of you know how to possess your vessels in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence like the pagans who don't know God, right? And so what he's saying is, you know, your, your body and the organs that God has given you, they, they belong to God, and they'll be used for God's glory. And if you take God's vessel to use it for something that violates God's will and God's desire. You're stealing. In fact, when he says that none of you go beyond and defraud your brother in the matter because you know that the Lord is the avenger of all such, you know, how do you defraud someone? Well, if it's a member of the opposite sex, it's easy. What you do is, is you raise up sensual desires on them, in them, that you know you can't righteously satisfy. And so, you know, you, you flirt and, and touch and, and do all kinds of, of things to stir them up. And then when they're stirred up, then you have two choices. You can say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, which is what you shouldn't have, should do. Or you can take advantage of the situation. Well, you take advantage of the situation, your temple stealing. And God says, don't defraud someone. Don't raise up those desires because if you can't righteously satisfy the desire and you raise it up, then you're defrauding them. And then you're prone to temple stealing. You say, well, that's, a, that's hard. That's a high standard. Well, yes, it is. But it's God's standard. And, you know, God doesn't change his standards. And so, you know, I mean, some of us, I mean, we, we've been down the road, and you know you can't ungo down the road that you've gone down. You can't change the past. But the thing is, the great thing is that the past is, is covered by the blood of Jesus. And he's taken away the iniquity. So now you can walk worthy of the calling wherewith you're called. So, but you, you know, so don't, don't violate the eighth. The eighth commandment is the one that says, thou shalt not steal. By pleading the fifth, it said, I shall not 
uh, answer that question on the ground that it may incriminate me, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, if you are used to stealing. In fact, when, when Paul is saying, let the one who steals steal no more, the word, the, 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 the word there in the Greek is it's in the present tense. It's not a person who used to steal. It's a person who is stealing. Remember, Ephesus was a sanctuary city. And in a sanctuary city, criminals could go there to escape prosecution until their trial, right? So Ephesus was filled with a lot of people who were used to stealing. And some of them folks got saved. And people that get saved need to learn to change, right? And so he says, if you're in the habit of stealing, well, stop stealing, right? And that's, he puts that in the compar- imperative, which is a, a, a command. So we're not to, to steal. And, and, you know, because I know that some of us have been down that road, I don't want you to feel guilty this morning. I want you to, to be grateful for the blood of Christ. So I, I want you to think with me about Acts 16. And the Philippian jailer, and these, I put these three verses down here just, just because I want us to think through the salvation process. Remember, Paul and Silas, uh, they, they've been preaching. Uh, they've been effective in their preaching. People have gotten saved, and this whole city is in an uproar, right? And so then the jealous uh, Judaizers have come, falsely accused them, had them arrested, and then they had them beaten publicly and thrown into prison, locked in chains. And, of course, it says that at midnight, midnight, <laughs> Paul and Silas, you know what they were doing? They were singing. They were singing hymns. They were praising God. And when they did that, the Scripture says that the, the whole place was shaken and all of the prison bars uh, doors fell open and and they were unshackled and when the jailer heard the commotion he looked and and saw all of the the doors open he assumed everyone had gone and if you're a roman soldier it's life for life if you allow a prisoner to escape you have to take his place and so he said i'm dead he's gonna kill himself paul yells out and says no 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 don't harm yourself because we're all here but he comes in, he got a torch, he ran aside, badly shaken. He collapsed in front of Paul and Silas. He led them out of the jail and he says, sirs, what must I do? What must, what do I have to do, excuse me, to be saved? I mean, to, to really live. I, I like the way the message put that. See, not just to get fire insurance, but, but, but to really live. See, I, I've, got, I've got a position, I've got family, I've got some power, I've got all the things that other people want, but I don't have what you have. You've got this sense of purpose that allows you to overcome even the most difficult circumstances. You, you've got this, this deep-seated joy that allows you to sing when the rest of us will be fighting angry. You, you've got the power. You've got access to the guy who can shake things up. I don't have any of that. You're really living. I'm just existing. <clears throat> what do I have to do to get what you have? I like the response. They said, put your entire trust in the master Jesus. I like the fact that they, they call him the Lord Jesus. He's master. He's not just the genie that you rub and he comes out and grants you three wishes. No, Christ comes to take over. They said, put your trust in the master Jesus. Then you live as you were meant to live. You, you can't begin to live right until you know Jesus. And that's why a lot of people don't live right. Because they don't know the prince of life. They don't know the king. And so they live like criminals. God has set you free. And because of that, because he's changed everything about your life, then you can live differently. You can walk differently. And so if you used to steal in either of those four ways, or if you're in the habit of stealing in either of those four ways, you can stop. 
right now because Christ has set you free from the desire to steal. All right, well, let's move along here. Let's, let's talk about how to deal with that steel fence. Four gloves that will tear down that steel fence. How do I stop stealing? Paul mentions four things here, uh, and I'm going to give you four, although there are only really three things. Like I mentioned in the first, I'm going to give you four things. Number one, you need to acknowledge that stealing is wrong. You say, well, duh. Don't say duh. There are a lot of people that don't believe stealing is wrong. He says, he who steals must steal no longer. You used to do it, but he says, not no more. Stop stealing. You've been used to doing it. You've justified doing it. Now you need to stop. You know, just to show how backwards our nation is, you know, I saw this on the, the website, the Cleveland Clinic. Um, I, I was drawn to this because, you know, kleptomania, the, the word for stealing is the word klepto, you know, from which we get kleptomaniacs. But notice what the Cleveland Clinic says. They said kleptomania is a mental health condition, right, where a person feels an overpowering, irresistible urge to steal things. People who have this disorder know <clears throat> that stealing is wrong and could get them into trouble, but they, they can't stop themselves. It's just, I just can't stop. They don't steal because of a lack of willpower, self-control, or a character flaw. Now, see, when I saw that, I'm like, duh. You mean it's not a character flaw to steal? They say, instead, this is a medical condition where a person doesn't have the ability to resist the impulse to steal. Well, you poor baby. I mean, you... You, you would stop if you could, but you just can't. You're stuck on stealing. And so you, you <laughs> right, say we have, a, we have a government hotel for people like that, right? <clears throat> but see, in our society, see, nobody's to blame for anything that they do. And if, you know, it's, it's like the, the person who says, um, in fact, we used to have some people in our church who uh, were addicted to cocaine, and as I would talk to them from time to time, as you know, he would talk about the higher power, and um, you know, we know that's Jesus. That's the only one going to set you free. But one of them, he said to me, he said, Pastor, he says this cocaine is it's a disease. It's it's outside of me, and it comes in and it takes over, and I have to I have to fight against it. And I said, I said, brother, it is a foreign substance that you take into your body, but it's a foreign substance that you take into your body. As long as, as the cocaine is a disease that has to be treated by an outside source, you're not taking responsibility. You're not saying, I'm the person who has the problem. I'm wrong. And if you're not wrong, you're not going to have the ability to get right. See, you're not, you're not going to see. You're going you're to want somebody else to help you. I said, you need to stop. And, of course, um, well, I, the end result was a, a bit interesting, but okay. This is where our society is. We're, we're rapidly telling people that it's not their fault. And then we can't understand why they keep going back and back to that. The second thing, then, uh, besides acknowledging that stealing is wrong, is I need to accept the value of work. Now, you, you would think that people would think that work is a good thing. But au contraire. Right? Uh, people don't want to work. Uh, people want to get paid, but they don't always want to work. And I thought, well, and I put I put down uh, Deuteronomy chapter five, verses twelve through fourteen, because I, I like what Moses says here. He says, "Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days a week are set apart." for your daily duties. There are some things that you need to do every day. Brother, you need to get up, and you need to get out, and you need to get after it. 
and then so you can bring home the bacon. You see, he said, he says this, the seventh day is a day of rest, dedicated to the Lord. And I highlighted that because I thought about it. I said, you know, people don't work. They don't, they don't rest. I mean, they don't have to rest. They don't get tired. You don't go to work. You're not doing anything. There, there's no reward. You know, when I was in high school, <laughs> I used to, I used to, um, well, you have to understand, we, we lived in an apartment, three-bedroom apartment. There were nine of us, okay? My parents and seven, six siblings, the nine of us. And, and of course, uh, you know, we all had to go to school. So my parents would wake us up. We would take baths the night before, but then we would wash up in the morning. Each one of us had 15 minutes. So the shift started with the oldest at like 530 in the morning. And so in 15 minutes, and so you count the time down, and you had to get up, and you had to go take your, get your wash up, get dressed, because we all had to eat breakfast before we walked to school, because we did, we walked to school, you know, 25, 30 minutes, uphill both ways, no, <laughs> but we did, we walked to school, but, you know, the, the thing is, you know, we, we did all of that every single day, and I was so tired of having to get up so early. And I used to say to myself, you know, when I get older, you know, like in the summer, I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to get up just so I can go back to bed. You know, because I'm so tired of getting up and losing my sleep. You know, I never did that, of course. But it was just the reward of resting. You appreciate it when you can't rest, you know. And so he says, six days you work. And then you rest. You can appreciate the rest when you work. Men need to work. I'll say that again. Men need to work. A man just cannot be himself if he's not going out and getting it done. You know. Now, if you're retired, okay, it's a different thing. I, I don't know what that is. You know, maybe when I'm 90, I'll be able to retire. But, you know, you know, but I, what I find is a lot of people, their attitude toward work is kind of like this T-shirt uh, that I saw. It says, hard work never kills anyone, but why take the chance, man? I, <coughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I ain't trying to go out like that, you know. And some people, they, they internalize that. And they just don't want to do any work. But one of the reasons that you need to work is so you can rest. But another reason that you need to learn to rest is so you can remember. And that's what he says in the next verse, Deuteronomy 5.15. He says, remember that you once were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out with an amazing power and mighty deeds. You see, when you, when you stop and think about it, you remember the goodness of God. See, you know, that's one of the reasons why Satan spends all his time trying to speed up your day, trying to pack in your day with activities. That's why when, the, when Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh to say, let the people go, Pharaoh says, put those people to more work. Don't give them straw. Make them hustle for it because they have too much time to think about stuff like we want to be free. And Satan does that. He speeds up everything so you don't have time to stop and think. If you don't think, you don't remember. If you don't remember, many times you just are not grateful for the thing that God has done in your life. You need time to remember what God has done and keep him in the forefront. And that's why God's commanded the Sabbath. And so I, I want to be able to accept Recognize the value of work. The third thing is <laughs> I need to use the work. I need to accumulate, accumulate or grow your own produce, right? Instead of stealing, you need to get your own stuff, right? He says performing with his own hands. What is good? The, the words there are, are, are strategic and, and deliberate because what a thief does is he uses his hands to take what doesn't belong to him. So Paul says, 
stop stealing, use your hands to accumulate, to work and earn so that you can have something to give. Instead of taking what doesn't belong to you, you could be giving what belongs to you to others. So I need to, I need to, to work with my own hands. Just a couple of verses. I'll go through them rather quickly. Proverbs 13, 11, it says, Wisdom from get-rich-queen uh, schemes, wealth, excuse me, from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. That's why people use the lottery, and then they lose the lottery, right? And next thing you know, they back where they started. So didn't you get, didn't, didn't you get half a million? What happened to all that money? It's been two years, right? Well, you know, I bought me a Lamborghini, you know, and it, well, stupid stuff. <clears throat> Wealth from hard work grows slow and steady. Wins the race. I, I like that. So, you know, people who play the lottery are in sin. People who go to the casino, well, I got quiet then. Didn't I? <laughs> people who go to the casino are in sin. Right? You say, well, well, Pastor, I go for fun. Yeah. So you're going to tell me. You're going to reach in your pocket. You're going to pull out 200 bucks. And you're going to walk into that place with all them lights and making all that ding, 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 ding. And you're going to play with the chance to win is what they promise you. And then when you're down to zero, you're going to walk away and say, whoa, that was so much fun. Only a, well, <laughs> I don't, I don't get it, but this is okay. There's people that are smarter than me that can figure out how to get you to give up your money. I could never see myself going to a casino. Well, I take that back. My wife and I went to a casino one time. We were on our anniversary. We were looking for a place to eat, and the casino had the best buffet in the area. We went in. We walked right by all the noise. Sat down and had a delicious buffet meal, and then we walked back out past all that noise, okay? But I, I went to a casino, but that was why I went. All right. Work, Proverbs 14, 23, brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. You know, I, I think it was Ring Lauder that, that said uh, success comes, but uh, many people don't recognize success. Because it comes to them disguised as hard work. And so they don't see it. And they don't have it. Ecclesiastes 5. Here's what I've seen to be good and fitting to eat, to drink, to enjoy yourself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him. This is his reward. Right? Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, don't miss that. You have what you have because the gracious, good God gave it to you, right? It's mine. No, it's his, and he gave it to you. He entrusted it to you to use for his glory. We call that stewardship. Every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he's also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. There's no feeling like the feeling that says, man, I worked enough to earn it, and now I bought it, and it's, I got it. You know, that's the best feeling in the world. Well, maybe not the best feeling. That's a really good feeling. But then I had Brother Stroger read 2 Thessalonians 3, <clears throat> and I'll take you back to verses 7 through 10. He says, for you know you ought to follow our example. We were never lazy when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard. Kapiao means to labor to the point of exhaustion. We worked hard day and night so that we would not be a burden to any of you. You know, my niece and her husband and her three sons, they came to visit us. And, you know, we had dinner for them. And after dinner, you know, 
uh, Nicole and the kids, they got up and they went into the kitchen and they started washing the dishes. Like, what are you doing? I said, yeah, well, you know, we're going to clean up. And they cleaned up after themselves every single day. I'm like, oh, my goodness, y'all need to come back. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, I'm used to people coming and and using, and then, you you know, they're gone. But I I I was impressed with that. Paul says, it wasn't that we didn't have the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this rule, whoever does not work should not eat. He goes on to say in the next verse, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work, wasting time, meddling in other people's business. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we appeal. No, no, we command them. Settle down and get to work. Earn your own living. See, work is an honorable thing. And when we, time out. All right, this this is me going on my little mini rant. Well, I won't do it. I'm not going to say anything about our government letting people in who have no skills and putting them up in facilities and feeding and housing them without requiring anything of them. I'm not going to mention that. I'll mention the fact that my son-in-law, who came over from Japan, speaks five languages and has a Ph.D. in in electrical engineering. When he wanted to apply to come, they had me sign a note that says, listen, if he comes into the States, you have to promise that you will provide for his support so that he won't be taking anything of the government. Okay. I had to sign and I had to pay. In fact, three times I had to sign stuff. And each time I signed, I had to pay the government some money so he could get here, so he could get his green card. So, you know, he got work visa, then he got a green card, and then eventually he applied to U.S. citizenship. He took the exam, he passed the exam, and he became a U.S. citizen. But you got people that come across, no skills, no knowledge, can't speak the language, don't want to work, go on welfare. And then have the audacity to say, um, I don't want to, I want to stay in a hotel. I'm not staying there, shelter. Uh, I don't like that food. I'm not eating that food. I'm, please. We have lost our national mind. Okay, I'm, I'm back now. The fourth thing, aim for the greater blessing. Aim for the, the greater blessing. Don't, don't stop short. Of having. What's the greater blessing? He he says, he says the reason you accumulate is so he will have something to share with the one who has need. See, Jesus said this. He said it's it's more blessed <laughs> to give than than to receive. And you know, people people say, well, I, I want to try the give the receiving part first. <laughs> The real blessing comes when you recognize that God's given me enough to meet all of my needs, so I am content, right? Turn off the TV, you know, turn off the home shopping network, and all that stuff where they show you all those things that they say are on sale for two-thirds off, many of which you would never have bought if you hadn't seen that stupid commercial. I mean, the, the, if you hadn't been watching the channel, and then you, you fill up your house with all those gadgets, Okay, I'm, I'm done. Um, you want to have something to give. All right, my time's getting away. In order to, to, to be an approved workman, in order to, to get to the point where you have something to give, let me give you five quick principles and then we're done. Number one, recognize the honor that exists in working. If you don't think that work is an honorable thing, you won't do it. You spend your time pipe dreaming. And you'll say, well, let's see, maybe I can get rich quick. Get rich quick sounds like Lotto, uh, hey, it's $5 billion now. And if I win, you're a sucker, right? And there's a sucker born every minute. And if we get enough suckers to give in, we can afford to give out a billion. And we still have a lot left over. 
And that's why they do it. But anyway, honor comes from working. This second one might be a bit of a challenge. Decide to live below my means. Now, if you live 110% above your means, then you have a problem, right? If you have too much month left at the end of the money, you're living above your means. So what you need to do is you need to change. You don't have to spend 100% of your income. You can live on 70%. You know, 70%, well, yeah, you, 10% is the Lord's. You know, it's, it's, you, you don't give that. The tithe is his. It belongs to him. So you return the first portion, the first 10% to him as an acknowledgement that he owns it all. And then you live on the rest. But then you also, you take 10% and you set it aside. You send it into the future. We talked about this before, right? You send it into the future since, after all, that's where you're going to spend the rest of your life. You send it into the future, and you tell it why you're going. Pick up some friends along the way, right? Some Hamiltons, some Benjamins, and others. And I, y'all meet me when I get there. And so you invest a portion, right? And then, okay, so 75%. Because um, the third thing that I'm mentioning here is add a line to your budget for need meeting. Now, you know, if you, if you set aside money to meet a need, it's amazing how you always be able to meet needs because you will have planned to meet needs. If you don't plan to meet needs and you have money and a need pops up, there's going to be a struggle in your heart. Do I want to give up my money? You know, why do you have to have that need anyway? What did they do wrong? You know, and then see, I don't want to give it up. And so I'm I'm giving myself an excuse for why I shouldn't have to meet the need instead of recognizing that God, the God who gave me more than I needed, allowed me to create a surplus. I want to know where he wants me to give the surplus. So I accumulate it, I set it aside, and then I watch to see what the need is. And when it pops up, I meet the need. And it doesn't cost me to meet the need because I've already planned to meet the need and I've already lived below my, my uh, I've lived below my budget, excuse me, I live below my means so that I, I have some cushion. And then, you know, you build up, you do it a long time, and it's amazing. You, you have an endowment uh, mentality. You're able to leave something. In fact, the scripture says the righteous leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And then four plans. <laughs> Not to get by, but to get ahead. Don't, don't try to get by. Plan to get ahead. And you say, okay, well, I'm not good at planning. Well, get good. In fact, I'll give you some help with that. Proverbs 16. It said the plans of the heart belong to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Now, now I wonder what the, the key thought is in all of that. You know, three times he mentions plan, plan, plan. You know, it sounds as if God wants me to plan. So if I'm a person of faith, I will obey him. I will plan my way. If I believe that God brought me here on purpose, that God has a design, and if I understand God's design, and if I'm living a life of contentment, and God allows me to have more than I need to meet my need, and he allows me to accumulate a surplus, and he allows me the blessing of blessing others with it so that my life overflows with blessing, yeah, I'm living on purpose. That's what he wants. You say, well, pastor, I'm not there yet. Well, no, maybe you're not. But you'll get there if you plan to be there. And that's, that's the thing. The last thing is see yourself as a resource person. See yourself as a resource person. You know, sometimes we think, well, I, you know, I'm here to, to indulge myself. No, you're not here to indulge yourself. 
you're here to be an agent in the hand of God to bless others. And, and that's, that's why. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, you know this passage because we read it all the time. God saved you by his special favor when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done. Because you haven't done anything good. So none of us can boast about it. For we are his. We're God's masterpiece, poema. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God planned for you to be a blessing. Now, a lot of people that stand up in pulpits and tell you that God planned for you to get a blessing. And so give some seed money. And then you can you can get your blessing. And bless me. And then you can get some blessing too. And I mean it's greed, but they make it sound spiritual. They even try to quote verses to say that. But God wants me to be a giver and a lover. <clears throat> Share with you before I, my time's gone. Let me let me end by reading you um, this uh, this story. It's a well-known story. The very first person to reach the status of billionaire was a man who knew how to set goals and follow through. At the age of 23, he had become a millionaire. By the age of 50, a billionaire. Every decision, attitude, and relationship was tailored to create his personal power and wealth. But three years later, at the age of 53, he became ill. His entire body became racked with pain, and he lost all the hair on his head. In complete agony, the world's only billionaire could buy anything he wanted, but he can only digest milk and crackers. An associate wrote he could not sleep, would not smile, and nothing in life meant anything to him. So he was a billionaire. His personal, highly skilled physicians predicted that he would die within a year. That year progressed. He approached death. He vaguely remembered something from a dream, something about not being able to take everything with him. And because of that dream, he got his accountants, his attorneys, and his managers together, and he said that he wanted to establish a foundation. He began to channel his assets to hospitals and research and to the mission field. This new direction eventually led to the discovery of penicillin, cures for current strains of malaria, tuberculosis, and diphtheria. The list of discoveries resulting from his choice continues to grow today. In fact, his son um, actually inherited much of his wealth. And do you know his son was on the board at the United Negro College Fund? And, in fact, he seeded that college fund with $5.4 million back in the 1950s. They don't tell you about that because they want you to hate all rich people. But perhaps the interesting thing is that on that day that John D. Rockefeller established his foundation and began to give back a portion of all that he earned, His body's chemistry was altered so significantly that he got better. It looked as if he would die at 53, but he lived to be 98 years old. Rockefeller learned that gratitude and giving back from his wealth were the key to life. It is really more blessed to give than to receive. Paul says, let him that used to steal, or that that is in the habit of stealing, stop stealing. But start working, laboring, using your hands to do, to accumulate, so that you have something meaningful to be a blessing to others. God wants you to be a giver and a lover, not a player and a taker. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your word. 
And Father, in your word, we find instructions on, on how to live. And certainly, Father, we, uh, we can't say that uh, we are geniuses. All we can say is that we are ignorant. But Father, we have access to the wisdom of the all-wise one. And Father, uh, Christ Jesus is made to us wisdom and knowledge and insight. And Father, even in your word, Proverbs 8, Lady Wisdom calls out to us and says, come, eat at my table, hang out with me, let me show you how to live. And Father, that invitation should not be lost on us. Uh, we want to be skillful in the way that we live. And skill comes from knowing your will. And your will is found in your word. And so, Father, as followers of Christ, we want to be filled with your word. Uh, we don't want to just be trivia experts. Uh, we want to be knowledgeable agents filled with insight and who live out uh, your mandates in such a way that people can't help but take notice. That they'll ask us a reason for the hope that's within us. They'll see the change that you made and, and then desire the same. Father, you want to use us to show the world how spectacular it is to live in grace. We thank you for that. We're not worthy of such a great, grand, high purpose, but you called us to it, and you gladly grant it to us. We thank you for that. And by the way, I pray that if there's anyone here or under the sound of my voice, even whether it be Facebook or Zoom or even uh, on one place later on, they hear these things. I pray that you would, by your spirit, create a yearning in their hearts. If they don't know Christ and the pardoning of their sins, if they can't say for certain that, that they know that if they died today, that they would, they would wake up in eternity, if they can't say that Jesus is Lord of their lives, then I pray that uh, you would just patiently but persistently uh, discomfort their hearts, disquiet their spirits, Bring them to a point of surrender, that they'll call out to Jesus for salvation. They'll surrender their lives to him, and that you change them and, and enable them to live the way they were intended to live. And Father, may we model that, those of us that have received Christ. May we make him known in the way that we talk and walk and respond to all of the issues of life. Thank you again, Father, for loving us as you do. Bless and keep us, strengthen us. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.